Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today it is April 13. We are uh, just about a month after the College World Series was canceled. We, we've been doing the self-isolation thing uh, in, at, in the Baseball America world for a month. We've been without college baseball for just as long, but we are still at it here on the Baseball America College podcast. And as always, I am joined by Joe Healy. Joe, how are you doing? Uh, as we as we press on after a, a month of of college no college baseball in the spring, yeah, still tough on the baseball front. Still kind of jonesing for it, trying to find it in in ways uh, here and there. Whether it's some of our old games or, or what have you, um, I'm also at the the point from a non baseball perspective where I'm starting to think about the things I really miss beyond the obvious. Like you and I, it's like we miss going to baseball games, covering baseball games, watching baseball games, talking about actual games happening. Uh, but now I'm at the point where I kind of miss like sitting down at a crappy chain restaurant, you know, and like ordering potato skins <laughs> or whatever. And I, I mean, just the simple things that's, that's of course an avatar for just kind of the simple things that, that we take for granted. The chances of me like immediately running out and I'll, I will not name a, a chain restaurant is to not uh, drag them through the mud through this, but we're open probably, to all sponsorships. That's right, indeed. Um, Except so, for Olive Garden. I will just sit here and say wow. I, I do not want to take Olive Garden's money. Wow. Okay, well, I, then I'll, I'll just launch a side project. If Olive Garden wants <laughs> to throw some money at us, then uh, gotta, I love those breadsticks. I'll put it that way. Love now, if Olive Garden wants to sponsor the Draft Podcast, Carlos is a, is a big Olive Garden fan. Oh, so. well, see, there you go. That's where, you can, that's where Olive Garden can send its, uh, send its advertising dollars. But, uh, yeah, so like, I'm at the point where I'm thinking about things like that like uh, d- doing that or, or really just more generally going back to a time where I don't have to treat every person I see at any point in my field of vision, like they're covered in, you know, radioactive waste, um, which is kind of what you have to do now. And I've actually had conversations with my fiance about like, how long is it going to be before we can go about our regular business and not social distance just by habit, you know, like if magically tomorrow, they said, Oh, weird thing coronavirus just disappeared and like we could go back to going to the grocery store it would be hard to go back to the way it was and so um i'm looking forward to being able to have that thought where it's like oh i don't have to you know necessarily wear this mask out or i can i can you know uh give this person i love a hug for example you know that that kind of thing um but that so that's where i'm at i'm kind of thinking about all those things that i've taken for granted things that i don't even really want to do uh, but now seem all the more enticing because they are not options at this point in time. Yes, that is uh, that is certainly where we're at, and I imagine that that's only going to get ratcheted up the, the longer this goes. So we'll uh, we'll keep plugging away as normally as we can, and for us that means we're going to continue two podcasts a week, uh, getting you the, the latest college news and, and everything else. So today 
you know, the, the, the plan is that the first podcast of the week, which we'll re- release on Tuesdays, you guys are probably listening to this on a Tuesday or maybe a couple days later, uh, that's going to be a more newsy podcast. Today, we have Louisville coach Dan McDonald joining us to talk about all of the news that, that's happened over the last month uh, beyond being a highly successful coach at Louisville. Uh, you know, he had his team uh, you know, as one of the best teams in the country, a national championship favorite this year. Uh, Dan McDonald is also uh, a pretty influential member, I guess, of the ABCA. He, I believe, is the, the first vice president at ABCA, which puts him in line to be the ABCA president next year. And so he's pretty involved in all of their doings, and, and they're obviously very involved right now in trying to untangle everything that happened because of the eligibility ruling and, and everything that's going to go forward from that. So we wanted to, to talk, with, uh, talk with Coach McDonald about you know, those broad issues in the game and also just how his program has been affected and how his program is, is working through this uh, unprecedented situation together. So we're going to get get to Dan McDonald here in a second. Uh, the second podcast of the week, which we release on Fridays, it's an ongoing project where Joe and I rewatch classic games and then we uh, bring a guest on who is a participant in those in, in that game to, to uh, talk about it with us. We've done the 1994 and 1995 national championship games. The last one that we did was the the 94 College World Series final between Oklahoma and Georgia Tech. And we had former Oklahoma outfielder Eric Thomas on the podcast. And I know Joe feels like that was our best one of the of the three we've done so far. And, you know, it was outstanding. I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree on that. It was, it was very good. So hopefully we can continue. Uh, you know, hopefully that means we, we got in a groove and we can keep that momentum rolling here. Uh, and so we, we intend to keep doing that, uh, you know, I don't know, indefinitely right now. We, we, have, uh, we have no long-term plans. It's hard to make long-term plans right now, but we're, we're enjoying doing that. And as, as long as we're having fun uh, you know, we're, and find people that are willing to talk about these classic games with us, we'll probably keep going, uh, whether, whether you guys like it or not. But hopefully you guys like it. And, and if you do, make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app. That's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're finding your podcasts, you can find our podcast. And if you leave a rating and review, uh, we greatly appreciate that as well. It helps other people to find the podcast. And uh, frankly, it makes us feel better. And, you know, in times like these, we can all use a little boost. So if you want to throw a little boost towards me and Joe, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, You know, we appreciate all of our listeners. Yeah, give us a pat on the back. Help our, it'll be good for our mental health. <laughs> now, to, uh, do, do something nice for Teddy and I. And say, say nice things about our, uh, about our podcast here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having a lot of fun with those. Uh, you know, I think I've, every radio or podcast I've done the last few weeks, um, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned that series we're doing. So I think it's a lot of fun and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I, I think the one we did with Eric Thomas was, was the best we've done yet, as you mentioned. And I, I don't say that because I thought the other ones weren't great. They were as well. But uh, he was clearly really enjoyed talking about that game and kind of going down memory lane. And he told some great stories about um, one about food poisoning and uh, one about Bucky Buckles knuckleball. So uh, both were outstanding. So he, he had some fun with it. Like he was clearly relaxed and just ready to talk about it. And 
I think that made for a, a fun interview. Uh, just as a quick tease, we are going to this week talk about the 2006 Lincoln Regional between the hosting Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Manhattan Jaspers. Um, really fun upset uh, in the NCAA tournament game. It means a lot to me because it was a it's a very vivid memory I have of of uh, my early years of following college baseball. So I'm really excited to watch it again and really excited to talk about it this week. And like I mentioned on Friday, while I am fairly confident, I know who our guest is going to be. It is not locked in yet, so we will not reveal that yet. So you have to you have to come back here on Friday. And the easiest way to do that, again, is to be subscribed to the podcast, because then it just goes straight into your phone. You don't have to think about it. It's just there. Uh, so, so if you do that, you'll, you'll on Friday, get an episode of Joe and I looking back at that 2006 Lincoln Regional uh, Manhattan upset over Nebraska. Uh, so that is what's to come on the Baseball America College podcast in the future. What, what's to come right now, though, is our interview with Louisville coach Dan McDonald, and let's just get to that right now. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're very happy to be joined by Louisville coach Dan McDonald. We're going to get into just some of the the news of the last month and everything, but first of all, Coach, uh, how are you doing? You know, it's kind of an unusual spring, obviously, but uh, how how are you settling into to this new reality? I guess. Well, the good news is uh, my wife hasn't kicked me out of the house yet, so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm surviving at home, uh, just trying to make the most of it. Um, it's terrible what's going on in the country, uh, but just trying to uh, communicate with our coaches obviously talk to our players, uh, try to help them, encourage them to finish in the classroom. Uh, I know they're doing their best to stay in shape and just hoping that we see some light at the end of the tunnel, look forward to uh, baseball sooner than later. Is this the first time, you know, you've been in an April that you can remember without baseball or, or when was the last time that, that there was a spring without baseball in your life? I I can't remember because, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, I played baseball every spring and up in the Northeast, the only break I ever had was when basketball ended because the weather was, was so bad. You had about two weeks uh, before baseball season. And that's all I can ever remember getting off like that February, early March time. But once you got to college, you know, baseball started, that was in 19, the fall of 88, spring of 89. And so, yeah, for 30 plus years, you know, I've, I've kind of always joked around that I'll never get to enjoy spring training. Um, I'll never go to a Kentucky Derby, uh, which I did by accident one year. I got to sneak in there because of a mess up in the schedule. Uh, but now, I mean, you know, I got my buddies and Hey, the Kentucky Derby's in September and the Masters is in November and who could get tickets? And, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at this as a once in a lifetime opportunity. We sure hope we don't experience this again, but we do want to make the most of it. My message to my players has been no regrets. Um, again, that starts academically. We want to finish um, athletically doing everything they can, but also with their families and their communities. I think the goal is, and I know for me, as I'm, I'm talking about myself and I'm sharing that with my players and coaches, is we just don't want to look back, uh, whether that's in the summer or the fall, whenever, and go, man, we, man, we missed out on that time. Like, yeah, I don't, I've never had this time off, and I hope to never have it off again, you know, and in the next 10 or 20 years or however long, much longer I can coach. 
so it just it's life we just want to make the most of it and uh use this time to grow in whatever areas each person wants to grow in you were someone who was supportive of everyone getting a year of eligibility back um, what was your initial reaction when the vote broke that way and it was clear that that was going to be the case and all of players across college baseball were going to get that opportunity to get that year back just the right thing to do uh we, we realized i mean the one thing baseball coaches know i mean you know, we, we understand finances, budgets, scholarships, uh, limitations, partial scholarships. I mean, the challenge is that a college baseball coach is so well prepared to handle these curveballs that the first thing was I mean, these kids got robbed of a year, especially the seniors, but everybody. I, I felt for the juniors because of that junior year, it's their draft year you know, and, and they're lining themselves up to get ready to cross the line into professional baseball. And I just remember thinking if they lose that junior year and next year they're seniors, you know, the perception and the history and, and the way the draft works and the monetary value of, you know, they're really not seniors. It wasn't like they didn't get drafted in their junior year. It was, it was a shortened year with a limited draft out of their control. And so I just felt like, as I always say, if a young man gets hurt or someone redshirts because they're just behind someone on the depth chart, I always use the phrase, nothing bad ever happens from a redshirt. Like it's always, there's so many positives to having that year in your back pocket. And for college baseball, it might keep kids in school a little longer, help them graduate maybe before they cross the line into pro ball. And, and let's be honest, it, it does create a lot of challenges that I'm sure we'll discuss in college baseball. We've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, but I always say this is about the student athlete. This is their three, four, five year window. And it was the right thing to do to give these student athletes an opportunity to embrace the most during this window. You mentioned there, you know, being kind of crushed for those seniors in, in that moment and, and a guy like Justin Levy has already talked about his intention to kind of move on to that next stage and in his pro career and other players of yours could have that opportunity as well but just generally speaking how are you how's your program handling the seniors and I know it's kind of a unique situation kind of fitting them back onto the roster but what approach are you and your staff taking at this time and, and our athletic department did a really good job of polling all the coaches in the spring sports how many seniors they had and realistically coming up with a okay, how many seniors do you think you'll have back? And, you know, I kind of laughed and said, well, <laughs> my four seniors want to sign professionally. And, and they're at a point in their career. They've won a lot of games. They've won ACC championships. They've hosted regionals, super regionals. They got to go to Omaha and, yeah, finished third. And, and the hope was to win a national championship. But they're athletically and academically ready to cross the line. But what if – what if they didn't get that opportunity? And so we talked to each senior and, and yeah, you mentioned Justin Lave. I mean, he is, he's one of the great senior signs that struggled halfway through his junior year, really played phenomenal. The second half, great defensively showed his versatility, put it together offensively, but the draft didn't work out. Now he moves over to shortstop. He's on the preseason number one ranked team in the country with, 
all the talent, especially those weekend arms, which, as we know, bring in so much attention that Justin Levy was playing really good defense. This was as good as he's been offensively in his career that for those guys that come back, this is what you want to be a – and we felt like he could be a top ten you know, yes, he'll save an organization money and they'll only give him so much, but still, he, he's a senior sign. He could have been a six-rounder, eighth-rounder, whatever, and shown the pro world that, hey, I can play shortstop. I played third. I showed you I can play second. Now I'm showing you I can play shortstop. So, you know, I just felt like his profile was rising, and that's what you want, you know, when a kid comes back for his senior year, and then it just all came to a halt. And – so you talk to Justin like I talked to all my seniors. And, and yeah, he's, he's physically ready. He's mentally ready. Of course, he's academically ready. He Hopefully, in just one month, he did enough uh, to show pro organizations that, hey, this guy can play short. The value of a guy that can play short, obviously can play the other positions uh, there in the infield, will give him that opportunity. You see, you mentioned that there's uh, a lot of talk about how to make this all work. And yes, yeah, so let's let's get into a little bit of that. Um, the, there's there's some talk about roster caps. Should those be eliminated on a you know one year basis or, or on an extended basis? Should the, the seniors won't count next year towards those? Should that be extended for for multiple years as, as long as we're going to have multiple? Uh, five classes on a roster at once or you know what do you think about some of those ideas or, or what other ideas are, are you kind do you kind of like to to kind of alleviate some of this pressure that the programs around the country are going to be feeling you know we we say the phrase a lot you know about do the right thing and you felt like when all these student athletes got the extra year of eligibility that was the right thing to do we also understand the big picture and uh, the financial uncertainty of athletic departments. And so it just – it sounds great, but you realize internally this might not work out. So even for um, – you are hoping for flexibility. Uh, you're hoping that they do loosen the reins a little bit. Um, you'd love for them – and I say them, I say the NCAA, but it's also presidents and ADs. I mean, you, you'd love to get some – some relief with scholarships not just for the seniors but for maybe some younger players on your team but then you realize budgetary wise that might work at Louisville there's 300 division one teams I mean how many schools is that actually going to work for um, I'm definitely a big fan of roster expansion um, yes I believe in scholarship expansion maybe more than 11.7 and maybe more than 27 players on eight. But I realize that is a huge, huge challenge. Um, but I'm definitely 100% supportive of roster expansion that uh, for, for a year or two that, and again, you're always going to do what's best for your program, what's best for each kid in your program. So, um, just because you have roster expansion doesn't mean more kids are going to stay when you map out this is your scenario, this is where you are on the depth chart. Which, but there are kids at schools that would rather be uh, the third string, third baseman and get redshirted 
than maybe go to a junior college. Not, not every kid, but you'd like to have that option because at the end of the day, there's a lot of kids, a lot of families investing in this. So when you have families that invest in sending their kid to your school, whether they're on scholarship or not, I mean, if you do the math, if 27 guys were on the equal amount, that would be 43%. So 27 guys on scholarship pay more to go to that school than they get. That's eight players not getting any money. So they're paying, you know, close to the full amount uh, minus some academic money and, and, and other areas where baseball kids try to get money. But my point is, is as you add more numbers, more money's going towards the school. So equivalency sports, as I would think most, which I think every spring sport is an equivalency sport. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if there's a full scholarship spring sport out there. So I think now, and I'm getting a little off track, but in the big picture, I think presidents are going to want more students in their school. More student athletes can only help in a challenging time. I think if you have, 40 kids on your team and they're happy and they want to be in the role they're in, you should be allowed to have 40 kids that I do think we should get some flexibility with roster limits. And again, I don't think anybody wants 50 players and you don't want fourth string third basements and all kids unhappy and not playing. And so we do realize with only five rounds, I think more kids are going to get, steer to a junior college or steer to another school where there's an opportunity for them. But, you know, you also have kids that have been committed for years. This is their dream school and where, yeah, maybe a kid was going to be in the mix to play. And now with the scenario that's happened, you might go, you know what, now because he's back and he's back and there's only five rounds, you might redshirt and, and leave that up to a kid and a family to go, you know what, that's okay. We, We'd rather stay there, work on our degree, be a part of the program, learn the system, all the right reasons, and we're okay with redshirting, as opposed to us now putting the burden on us coaches to say, well, because of everything that's happened, we now have to – you can't come or we now have to push you out the door. And so I think we're all hoping for some flexibility and some roster uh, leeway, if you call it that, to where we can deal with kids and families as, as to what do they want, what's best for everybody. You've been involved in uh, kind of leadership roles at, at the ABCA for several years now. And, and because of that, you've been in, you know, some talks with uh, various NCAA committees like the, the, the baseball committee or, or, and, and the like. Are you guys anticipating, you know, having, more talks with the division one council as they work through these things or what is the role of, of the ABCA and, and of some of the, the coaches that are you know, particularly involved in that organization, uh, you know, in, in shaping what comes next now? Exactly. A lot of conversation. I think Craig Kylitz and the ABCA staff do a phenomenal job of communicating. Um, and so we've been on multiple conference calls. Uh, emails have gone out. And I know the ABCA is trying to get the pulse. But as I've learned, being on these different committees, boy, 300 Division I schools, there is a wide range of, you know, what these 50 schools want 
and they have the resources to do and then these 50 schools want and what resources they have and then you have this large number of schools that hey we, we can't do anything you know like they're they're just and so there's such a wide spectrum as to what each school can actually do is gonna come out in this type of situation here but it's our job to pull the coaches get as much information as we can or i should say the abca's job and and gather that and then share that with the committee i i think it's their and they do a great job but that's their responsibility is ad's to accept the role of hey i want to be on this baseball committee well great but make sure you're speaking to the coaches then don't you know make sure you have a good understanding as to what's going on with college baseball because you and I know I mean there's so many things going on in a college baseball program 11.7 equivalency scholarships and the draft and walk-ons and and most most people have no idea how confusing it is and I'd be willing to bet again there's a lot of athletic directors and presidents that might not fully understand everything going on um in all the in all these baseball programs you might know what's going on in your baseball program meaning but what goes on around the country so so far there's been a lot of dialogue and a lot of communication but obviously there's just so much unknown out there and i don't blame presidents and i don't blame athletic directors i mean you have to prepare as we forecast budgets and what's next year gonna look like you know you have to prepare for best case scenario which is easy but then you also have to have a game plan for let's go worst case scenario and so right now there's just a lot of uncertainty we've alluded to it a little bit but but you had a promising team here in 2020 it was uh you know one of the top teams in the country uh to start and, and throughout the to the extent that we got a season and the plug just got pulled on that and it, it kind of strikes me about the mental challenge that might be because while the opportunity exists for the majority of that team to return next year, you're never going to get that exact team in that exact circumstance back again. And I'm curious how you went about uh, moving on from that mentally and the challenge of that, and then how you're going about trying to get your players in that same mind space about being able to, to move on from having lost that. Because I, I imagine that's a, a relatively monumental task for this group of guys that was capable of doing something special. Really bizarre. You know, as I mentioned, this is their three to five year window. And, you know, they felt like uh, they had the makings of a special club and a chance to make a run uh, to go to Omaha to win a national championship. With that being said, we also have a lot of respect for how difficult it is just to get through a regional and a super regional and baseball is just the parody is at an all time high. So, there's no guarantees, but really felt good and, you know, selfishly as a, as a coach in his 28th year, when you look at Detmers, Miller, and Luke Smith, you go, wow. I mean, I, you know, this, I've compared that starting rotation. We had McKay, Harrington, and Funkhauser. And, and so you, you sit there and go, man, that's, that could be as good as rotation in the country or one of the best and might not ever have a starting rotation that good. And so you hate that that opportunity is, is gone. Um, but you feel for the kids because 
for those four seniors, not sure who's going to be back, but, you know, there's no way we think all four are back. So for the juniors, I mean, for, for Detmers and Miller and those guys um, had a chance to, to, to try to win a national championship. You hate it for those kids. And, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I get to do this again next year and hopefully the next and the next, and you never know how long, but, you know, it's don't spend too much time worrying about myself. You feel for this special group. And if anything, for those guys coming back, the chip on their shoulder, uh, the opportunity missed, what you learn from the rug getting pulled out from you. As we like to say, baseball mirrors life, and uh, life throws you curveballs. It's not easy. So you just got to deal with it and move on. So, you know, fortunately, I love the talent we have coming back. Don't know everybody coming back yet, but, no, we got a lot of good players coming back, and our coaches do a phenomenal job in recruiting. So um, just hate it for this specific team in 2020. Uh, because you felt like it, it had the makings of, of doing something special. and uh, But, you know, we realized we're not the only team either. I mean, there's uh, maybe 100 schools who felt like they had a chance or even more to really, really do something special this year. I mean, you just – you hate it. You hate it for all those, those student-athletes who just have to wonder, you know, what if. You mentioned Detmers and the rotation and how good they were. You know, Detmers is now kind of projected as a top 10 pick whenever MLB decides to hold its draft. Uh, you know, he's projected to be a top 10 pick. What what kind of development have you seen in Reed over the last few years? <laughs> like a lot of pitchers in Coach Roger Williams' system, you know, just uh, the confidence, the toughness, the competitiveness. You know, Reed had a monster breakout sophomore year. But I go back to an 18, which was kind of a bridge year for us. We go to Omaha in 17. In 18, we're young. And we play in the Texas Tech Regional. And we make it to the finals at Regional. And Reed Detmer starts a game. And Bobby Miller starts a game as freshmen. And just how much better they got as sophomores. Bobby's growth got stunted a little bit because we thought he was going to be the closer uh, in 19. And that wasn't working out. We moved him back to a starter. And, of course, he was great down the stretch. And then going into this year, what Reed Detmers had, the resume had put together was very much like a Brendan McKay. And I would challenge him, well, just – be careful about shooting for numbers and more strikeouts and more wins. I mean, he had 13 wins and like 160 or something strikeouts, something. Just be your best, help this team win, and be a great leader. And it was good because he wasn't just saying those things and nodding his head. He was really doing them. I mean, he was becoming more vocal being concerned about the younger pitchers. And I think he probably looked back when he had Adam Wolf and older pitchers kind of look out for him and what that meant to him. And he was using that experience and maturity to lead others. It was, you know, he was doing what we thought, or I guess what he did last year. And then Bobby Miller was just, we saw it in the fall and we kind of felt like he was probably still a little under the radar but in one month, boy, it was 
it was climbing. And, and what was most impressive to me, and I don't know if you were at the Wake Forest game, but he took a ball off the chest at about 106 miles an hour, I think. Line drive right back up the middle. It might have been around the fourth inning or so. And he not only made the play, and we got the guy out at first, but he gathered himself, threw a couple pitches, and then went like three more innings to keep us in like a one-run game. And I remember after that, you know, obviously the 98s are impressive and the strikeouts and the, and the box score was impressive but like like Raj said and we all agreed he's like I don't I don't know what you're reporting back to your higher ups after watching that performance but I guarantee you if I'm a scout in my game notes he just took like 106 off the chest line drive got himself to first base and we got the guy out at first finished the inning and then went and finished like three or four more innings to throw like a hundred plus pitches. And he goes, man, that would impress me if I'm one of those guys sitting behind home place. And it did. It impressed us. We were in the dugout and it was like, wow, that was impressive. So we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit uh, before we, we get you out of here. And, and we're in these unique times, as we talked about with not only no baseball, but being confined to our home. So we're curious what uh, what's taking up time in the McDonald household these days. Are you are you watching movies, TV? Are you watching old sports games? Are you just watching tape on guys? Do you have a book recommendation? What uh, what's going on in your household these days to kind of uh, you know pass the hours while we're kind of under under uh, house arrest anyway? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything. Um, you know, when I say no regrets, I, I you know, and I tease our players all the time. I show them a little slide about sleeping on the front end, you know? So everyone talks about sleeping in at like, you know, waking up at 10, 11 o'clock. Like when you're younger and you sleep in, that's what you call it. But you can actually sleep in on the front end. So I always encourage our players, especially because we had 6 a.m. workouts a lot during the year, get to bed early, all right? So I'm, I'm still trying to get to bed at a certain hour so I can wake up at a certain hour. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I'm sleeping more than I've ever slept. So I figured, you know what? I got the time. And I've actually, I remember like two days after this all went down, I didn't set my alarm clock. And I remember how weird that felt. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to sleep in the mar and just wake up when I wake up. Because maybe I did like one day over the Christmas holiday, but that, that was two, three months ago. And I'm just going to see what that feels like. And that's like, that's just a weird feeling when you never do that. So I'm, I'm trying to get my sleep. I'm going to definitely gain hours in that department. Uh, I'm trying to watch what I eat. That's probably the biggest challenge, you know, when you're home all day and you're snacking and man, that, that, that is not easy, but I'm trying to eat healthy. I'm, I'm always going to work out. So uh, I've downloaded the Peloton app and they got a lot of different things you can do on their workout. I downloaded the Down Dog. Uh, it's a yoga app. And things that I would do, go to a spin class, go to a yoga class, go to the gym, now have to do in the confines of my basement. And so getting my workouts in, um, as you mentioned, reading. I'm a big reader. Uh, and we just got our coaches study, just got a book. Um, 
Wild at Heart. It's a Christian book, uh, Etheridge, Eldridge, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, but I, I've reread books, coaching books that I, I've been fans of, whether it's uh, The Gold Standard with Mike Krzyzewski, Chasing Excellence um, with Bergeron, the, the CrossFit Athletes. Uh, this year, Legacy was our book, and every kid on our team had the book Legacy about the New Zealand rugby team. And so I'm definitely challenging people to read. Uh, Netflix is good and bad. You know, I've, I've, uh, uh, my wife and I watched, was it Stranger Things? I think we might have been the last people on the uh, face of the earth to watch Stranger Things because everyone in my family had already watched uh, that three seasons and somehow I missed it. And so we're, we're constantly trying to uh, stay entertained and, um, you know, just grow closer together. Like I said, for me, it's, no regrets. I want to I wanna look back. Uh, playing a little golf, and Coach Williams, Coach Mundorf, got a pretty good golf game. Fishing, uh, my, my youngest son, Justin, likes to fish. He's our, he's our country son, you know, born in, in Oxford, Mississippi, and country music fan. And so he's all about boots, jeans, truck, fishing, all that good stuff. And um, just trying to enjoy a unique time in our lives uh, that – I guess we hope we don't ever experience again, but, but that we all learn from it um, as well as, you know, being sensitive to, you know, we're doing our best to enjoy these times, realizing the horror and the tragedy and the pain that families are going through. Um, it almost makes you feel guilty sometimes to enjoy these days when you realize how many people are suffering um, and so I just, I hope as a country, I, I just hope we all come back better. Um, but how hard it is for those families who have gone through the tragedy of losing loved ones and, and how sad uh, that is. Yeah, it's absolutely, uh, it's just very strange to, to balance all of these different emotions that, that are going on that you want to live your life because you have to keep doing that. But, you know, you know that other people are going through what they're going through. It's a, obviously a, an incredibly strange and, and unusual time uh, for everyone, for, for college baseball uh, in particular, without, without baseball here in the spring. I can assure you, though, Coach, that uh, I have also not seen Stranger Things, so you are oh. ahead of at least me. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's, um, okay. I mean, it's just cute with, uh, starts off with kids and it was one of those, all my nieces and nephews and my youngest son, when I said something, he's like, Oh yeah, dad, I've seen it. You know, like I was like, and then my brother, everybody, I've even had family members go, Oh, I'd watch it again. So I, 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 I recommend it. It's, uh, definitely a good, good Netflix watch. And I'm a Harlan Coben fan, C O B E N. I've read, many of his uh mystery novels and then i stumbled upon he has like netflix series where they take his books and they make them into a you know seven or eight show series and he's got like three of them now on netflix so even when the season started i was telling coach snyder about him and we had a bus trip to oxford mississippi about seven hours to start the season so I had him hooked on, on one of those. So if you're a mystery guy, uh, Harlan Coben's got some really good Netflix 
uh, episodes there that, that you can knock out. And, you know, now you can knock them out in probably a day. But if you want to see some, if you want to see some daylight, you can, you know, spread it out over the week and, and enjoy some of those shows. I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to, to look into that. Well, Coach, we, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the, the Baseball America College podcast. Well, it's good to talk baseball. We obviously miss it and uh, love the coverage and uh, what you guys do. And, and so we are greatly looking forward to the time when we can get back to uh, baseball. And right now it's summer baseball. Man, I'm hoping these summer leagues go. And I think we've even maybe crossed paths in the Cape before. But um, I'm holding hope that I'm going to get to go up to the Cape. I might go to all the summer leagues this summer just to, <laughs> just to watch our guys play. Yeah, if they're playing baseball anywhere this summer, I'm I'm going to be very look, very much looking forward to to checking that out. Whether that's on the Cape or the Great Lakes League or the Mink League, wherever they play, uh, I'm I'm going to be excited about it. That's right. Let's hope. Let's hope. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Coach. Thanks for having me on. Thank you again to Louisville Coach Dan McDonald for joining us here on the Baseball America College Podcast. I think that's at least Max' third time on the podcast, maybe fourth. He's a popular guest, uh, and it was uh, it was great to hear from him. I thought today a lot of good stuff in there, both talking about what the Cardinals are doing and did in in the aftermath of the cancellation, and then some of these broader topics that the college baseball is working through right now. And you know, I I really can't help but feel sorry for you know all of the teams that this happened to but but for a team like Louisville that came into the year with with so much on this season uh that this was going to be you know a chance for them to to go out and and potentially compete for a national championship which of course they have not won before uh you know that they had you know Detmers and Miller and Smith all back like like he was talking about and an exciting offense and while the season didn't quite get off to the start they were hoping for down at Ole Miss on opening weekend, they, they really had righted the ship since then and, and were, you know, rolling very well as ACC play had started uh, on the weekend before the season ended. And, and just to get that rug ripped out from you and then to know that Reed Detmers is gone as a top 10 pick and Bobby Miller was rising draft boards and is now expected to maybe sneak into the the back of the first round or at worst be a, a second round pick. And, um, you know, it, there, there's a lot now from that team when you're looking at, at core members that, that are going to be moving on. And that's, uh, I, it's just hard to imagine how you would go about processing that. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was one of the more interesting things that, that Dan McDonald talked about there was just how, uh, you know, they were trying to help them, uh, you know, work through that and, and, and understand that, you know, sometime, you know, use this as a teaching tool towards greater life situations. Yeah, it's easy to see how that would really be tough to overcome. I mean, such a highly anticipated season. This was kind of a season that, that um, you know, they would probably say that it's not quite this simple, but at least from an outsider's perspective, this felt like the season that was, that this was their shot. I mean, last year, they obviously came pretty doggone close to winning a national title in the grand scheme of things, finishing third in Omaha. But this was the year that was really kind of circled because you would have a junior class, especially on the mound with Detmers and Miller that were really ready um, to lead this team to, to, to great heights. And um, now the offensive piece was, 
more of a question coming into the year and then continue to be with some of the injuries they had. But I went back and looked at their stats yesterday, kind of in anticipation of, of this podcast today. And I was really kind of struck by the way in which this, their lineup actually kind of reminded me of some Louisville lineups from the past, kind of in the pre Brennan McKay, pre Corey Ray days, when this was already a very, very good program that had these high level of, this high level of expectation, but really was kind of more of an action-oriented offense, and they always had guys at the top of the lineup that were stealing bases in bunches and, and trying to make things happen with the short game. And um, Now, I will admit I had not seen Louisville with my own eyes uh, yet this season, so I would have had to maybe get that look to get a great feel for it. But at least at first glance, it kind of looked like one of those lineups. So that, was, that would have been kind of cool just to throw back to, to the way that Louisville used to win games primarily. And I think that's a testament to – their coaches there, whether it's Dan McDonald or the guys that he has, um, you know, running running their offense and, and Schneider and Vrabel, uh, and their ability to adapt to the personnel they have, um, that, okay, you know, maybe Alex Benellis isn't going to be as big a part of, of things as we had thought, but, you know, we have in Brown and Usher these two guys who can absolutely uh, burn rubber, and we're going to try to make things happen with them on the bases, and, and that's kind of what they were what they were doing so far. So that would have been kind of fun to see how that took shape with the idea that if they get healthy, all of a sudden now you're talking about one of the most dynamic offenses potentially in the country. So we, we've kind of been robbed of that, and as much as we might feel robbed of that, I mean, talk about a hundred thousand times uh, more painful is those players who maybe saw some of this stuff coming together and the coaches who saw this coming together and not getting an opportunity to to make good on the promise uh, they showed early in the season. So uh, they coach McDonald has good perspective about it. You know, he's always someone who brings really measured analysis and perspective on things. That wasn't a surprise, but, but at the same time, um, I can, I can just see how this was probably something that it took a little while just to, if nothing else, just to kind of absorb and, come to terms with the fact that, uh, you know, that they were done, at least for this season. It was, uh, it was interesting then to hear him, you know, say that, you know, right after the season ended, a couple of days after he just didn't set an alarm, <laughs> that that was one of the first times he'd done that, uh, you know, this year, maybe, maybe since over the Christmas break, he said, and, you know, it's just, everything just came to such a sudden halt. And I, I'm not saying anything like, new or particularly insightful when I talk about that. But I, you know, I personally don't think that I've thought a ton about that because at the time all of that was happening, I was trying to go, I, uh, we, we were all still going like full bore trying to figure out what was happening. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, around the country, everyone in, involved in from a team side, everything was just totally ground to a halt. And initially it wasn't, wasn't clear exactly how long that would be for, uh, but it pretty quickly became clear that that was going to be for the, the entire season. And, um, you know, now they're, uh, everyone's dealing with this baseball is spring for the first time and uh, in, in basically living memory. And, you know, so here, hearing now how he's going about that is, is interesting as well. But the, the broader picture stuff is a big part of the reason why I wanted to talk to him. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to hear where they're at in terms of trying to work through all of the, those issues. And, um, you know, the fact that, that Mac is uh, understanding uh, about the, the various issues that, you know, from a university-wide system, from an athletic department-wide system, like that, that's why he is, um, you know, as successful as he is in some of these areas off the diamond, because he's able to figure out all of these various pieces and, 
and look at baseball in the in the greater um, college sports and just college environment and, and universe. And uh, you know, hearing hearing how all of those pieces have to fit together is uh, you know is a good reminder that that this is this is very complicated what everyone's trying to work through, and that you know from university to university finding overall solutions isn't isn't easy but that is the task that, that they're trying to work through right now and um you know something that, that he mentioned that they're working very hard on uh from from a you know within the abca and you know college baseball overall just trying to figure out how to how to work through these roster cap issues and and the the difficulties that you know scholarshiping five different classes uh, within one team is is going to present. Yeah, it's a good point you make about um, you know have him having that the, the full perspective of what it's like, not just at his program, but programs across the country. That struck me as well, just because at least on paper, his program is not one that really stands to necessarily gain a ton from, for example, blanket eligibility. And but he was an advocate for that because he sees the the full picture of that. I mean, he's got. He's got maybe more um, more uh, productive seniors than a lot of programs in his position. Uh, you know, with guys like Justin Levy, Luke Smith, just to name a couple. I mean, they're they're big time programs that, that have maybe one or none in terms of seniors that are that are truly uh, part of the heart and soul of the team. But he, he you know, those are guys who are probably going to be looking for opportunities to go off into pro ball, and maybe they get them, maybe they don't. Levy has has you know already kind of suggested that's what he's going to attempt to do here. Um, so, so his program is not one necessarily that stands to gain a ton from that, but he was, he kind of put that aside for the idea that like, we've got to do, and this is what I've been going back to is that, you know, the decisions they made were, were about doing the most good for the most people. And, and he's, he, he, he keeps that in mind and that's, that's the most important thing to him. And he talked about, um, you know, trying to find solutions that, knowing that we're never going to find a one size fits all solution, trying to find the solution that doesn't just serve programs like his doesn't just serve programs in major conferences. Um, but also a solution that doesn't just serve, um, those programs who are, are, are really in the, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, really trying to find the, the way to affect the most positive change in the sport. Um, and so in that way, it's no surprise that he is as influential as he is because he, I think he really does a good job of speaking for, all different swaths of coaches and, and college baseball programs. He generally, as a coach, is very pro student athlete. He is a proponent of the one-time transfer exemption. He was, you know, hopeful that they were going to grant this eligibility stuff, and, and so none of that is surprising. And, and I do think that his um, his own experience is probably very influential in allowing him to to see it from so many different sides because. You know, he played at the Citadel, which, you know, obviously is pretty far outside the traditional power structure of college baseball. He has been a coach in the SEC. You know, he was at Ole Miss with, with Mike Bianco. He then took over Louisville when Louisville was a mid-major and not a particularly historically successful one at that and now has built Louisville into this like big time program that's in the ACC. So he's just been at so many different levels of the sport. And, and I think that probably helps him to, to see some of the, the various issues 
that that every everyone around the country has to deal with. And I mean, there's even some geographic diversity within all of that. You know, he's uh, he, Citadel's in South Carolina. He's at Ole Miss, and and now he's at you know the one of the more northern ACC schools. Um, obviously, there are three that are further north, but but Louisville is certainly not one of the more southern ACC schools. So he's just seen this from so many different perspectives, and, and I think that that all shows when when he's able to talk about the broader game and, and how you have to find solutions that, that work for everyone instead of just trying to be a little more self-serving. And, you know, that, that is one thing that the ABCA has really tried to work on it over the last couple of years. That was one thing that came up a lot during the third assistant vote was, you know, try and see this from everyone's perspective, especially from the player's perspective, what would be best for them, not necessarily, saying, well, you know, my school won't allow for a third paid assistant coach. So I don't really care what happens that overall it would be better. And, and you know, that, that messaging, uh, you know, was coming from, from the, the national office, but you know, Dan McDonald definitely has, uh, you know, he, he, he's very clearly able to, to work on those parameters and, and, you know, that's helpful in, in a time like this. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I mean, well, um, he, he was also very, um, as all coaches are at this point in time, he's very quick to um, kind of temper, you know, he's, he's got his thoughts on things, but also quick to temper that, you know, we're, we're, we're still kind of having conversations and we're still very much in the process of figuring this out. And I think that's important for, um, for everyone to remember. I mean, it, it's a good point you made too about, um, you know, the fact that two days after this all went down, he slept in and slept without an alarm for the first time in, in a long time and in a pretty rare thing for him. And I think that just highlights the fact that at a time when I know I was getting asked, I'm sure you even more so, but getting asked, like, what do you think is going to happen? What, I mean, uh, what, you know, what, what, what do you think is the best way to go about eligibility relief and, and ro- the roster crunch caused by that, that at that time, and when you and I were even wondering those same things at a time when, you know, a lot of people were really just, craving for that information from the people who were going to be a big part of at least influencing these decisions and talking about these decisions. We're just taking kind of a, we're just going to have to wait and see for a little bit. They were kind of just taking that approach. And I think that's also a good point to make moving forward as we talk about some of these roster crunch issues and then moving forward, things like, obviously this will be separate from the stuff that, that uh, Mac is doing, but you know, the decisions on summer ball, you know, and what we're going to do with that. And then what fall baseball looks like in light of the fact that getting back to campus in the fall is um, not necessarily a guarantee at the time that we normally do that kind of thing. And um, so that might not have been necessarily what he was speaking to, but I think what you hear with the way he talks about, we're just going to have to kind of be patient with some of this stuff, I think is instructive for all of us in, in these types of times. Yeah, absolutely. To, you know, cross conferences here. Greg Sankey has said, you know, multiple times that, you know, right now, I don't know is a very valid answer that you just have to, you have to roll with the punches right now. You got to, got to figure it out as you go because things change. And, you know, we've seen how fast things can change with this specific problem. So we're, we, we just have to work through it as, as it comes. Now he said, you know, we, we got him to talk a little bit about how he's occupying his time. And 
uh, you know, he mentioned Stranger Things, and I admitted to to not having seen that. Joe, uh, where where do you stand? Are is is he ahead of you, or or were were you ahead of, of of? Am I unique on this podcast? I guess what I'm saying in not having seen Stranger Things now. No, I've I've not seen it either. He's way ahead of me. I'm going to say All he's right. way ahead of me too because I don't really have any. I don't think I'd like it to be honest with you. Like I'm not really into. Um, fantasy and things like that. And I know that's an oversimplification. Um, so if you're going to tweet at me about that, save it. Um, <laughs> I know it's an oversimplification. At Joe Healy BA. Yeah. Um, it's just not my thing. Like, and I'm not typically someone who's very good at sitting gonna down. going to tease and... the podcast with that. Joe <laughs> Healy, Stranger Things, not my thing. <laughs> that's right. That's true. I mean, that, that I'm confident. I will stand by that. I just don't think, <laughs> I just don't think it'd be my thing and I, I have trouble sitting down and really watching anything much of anything of length that's not a sporting event and even with sporting events I'm usually like doing something else and kind of half watching unless it's a game I'm really locked in on or a game I'm, I'm working obviously um but as far as tv goes like I struggle with movies I struggle with tv that that has like the long form you know a lot of these like prestige cable shows or Netflix shows I just have trouble with because I that format I, I really kind of struggle with. So um, I know it's not the super highest of highbrow stuff, but I, I typically gravitate towards kind of the, the shorter comedy shows. Like I, obviously I'm a big office fan and, and so many people are, that's not unique, but you know, uh, Parks and Rec and um, I liked 30 Rock back in the day. And, and so that format tends to be best for me just because they, they tend to be more bite-sized compared to some of these longer shows. So I just, I don't think Stranger Things is going to be, now look, if we, if this goes on like this for months, I mean, I'm obviously going to have to change my expectations for what I'm willing to watch. I think we all will. Um, so I guess I should never say never, but, but barring something like that, I can't imagine Stranger Things is going to go into my queue anytime soon. Stranger Things is a tough one for me because my girlfriend has already seen it. So she is not going to, like, and she's recently seen it. So I don't think she's going to be looking to, to go back and, and rewatch that one. So I'd be entirely be on my own on that. And like knowing me that that probably just isn't going to happen. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe like a little further down the line, because I think Stranger Things season ended like late winter, early spring. So it, it's not all that far removed. So we're, we're going to have to let that one breathe a little bit before I can really address that, I think. I don't, I also really don't, I don't know if we've talked about this and I know we haven't talked about it at length and, and I don't intend to here either. I should be clear, but uh, I also don't have a lot of interest in Tiger King. Um, and I feel like now people are kind of catching up to me on this because there was so much. It's not good. Let, let me like, I do not like it. I thought, you know, I watched the first episode and was pretty interested. And then it became clear to me that like, this was not something that I really wanted to be engaged in. Yeah, like I just think we, we have so much in our lives right now that serve to bring us down or make us think about some of the negative aspects of life. And I don't know that I really need in my life like deep dives into these characters who all seem to kind of combine to not have any redeeming qualities about them and a show that is like ostensibly about mistreating wild animals. Like I, I don't, like I get that again, oversimplification, but I just don't know that I really want to sign up for however many nine hours or however many hours it is of that. And I feel like people are coming around to that now The because pe the people who have seen it saw it early and are, for the most part, were like all about it. And the people who are holdouts now, I feel like are holdouts for reasons like mine and, and yours and, and, and whatnot. So I think maybe we've, we've firmly gone into these 
two camps. And look, I'm not above, like, I, again, I'm not someone who, I watched that uh, Love is Blind reality show, um, which is not like anywhere close to like highbrow television. So I'm not above things that are campy or bizarre or, or anything like that. But the Tiger King was just not something that really ever appealed to me. Yeah, I um, think I saw in, in The Athletic that um, Mike the Tiger down at LSU, his handler, said that uh, Mike hadn't seen it because he knew who the real Tiger King was. And I'll just, I'll stand by that. That sounds right. I mean, I'm willing to, I'll go with that. Like if we want to just anoint Mike the Tiger as the, as the Tiger King, then um, then yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. So... Over on the the website, baseballamerica.com, if you're wondering uh, which website I'm talking about now, Uh, uh, every Monday we are committed to ranking a top 25. And this week we ranked the 25 seniors we most wanted to see back in 2021. And there was a Louisville tie because Luke Smith ranked pretty highly on that list. Uh, But Joe, you... you, um, you kind of took the lead putting that together as you do with most of these top 25s. And uh, it was, uh, it was pretty easy to do. You know, I threw like, once we decided we were doing this, I threw like eight names at you, like within two minutes. And we kind of just rolled right, right through from there. There the long story short, there are a lot of seniors we want to see back in college baseball next year. Yeah, for sure. I jotted down, you know, I looked at a lot of different places. Like I looked at, stat leaderboard to try to find some guys maybe I'd forgotten. I did go to specific rosters that I know like typically have some seniors I'd be interested in. So I probably came up with a list of 60 players ultimately, maybe not quite that many, but 50 probably. And they were probably more out there that I could have made arguments for. So there, there are a lot of seniors and it's funny because you and I before the season were kind of talking about the senior class this year maybe being a bit down from where it was last year. And granted, we were spoiled last year where we had probably more, more seniors than we should normally expect to have. Well, I mean, when you look at Mangum, Duplantis, and Evan Edwards, like just bang, Yeah, bang, like bang, right like. off the top. Exactly. Exactly. So that was, that was always going to be maybe a, a, an outlier. But with that being said, even, even through that lens, this senior class didn't feel like necessarily a standout senior class, but I think it goes to show that what makes a, a good group of seniors is kind of the guys that develop along the way. And so while some of these guys, like a Cam Shepard, for example, who's on this list, a Brett Auerbach, who really came on over the summer, even Brian Van Bell, who we knew as being a really good pitcher, who maybe was turning himself into more in terms of prospect um, as, as this season got underway. I will defer to those who know that better than, than I to make that declaration, but it felt like maybe they, things were headed that way. We knew those guys, but then you also have Landon Knack at East Tennessee State who really turned himself into a legitimately good prospect. And it's one of those deals where if he wasn't a senior and isn't you know going to be 22 or 3, I assume 23, when the draft comes around, he'd probably be even more so um, just because he, he's older now and he has a short track record. He might not be considered – um, as elite as, as he should be. But that's a guy who we weren't talking about at all before the season. And, and he's a guy who I really, really wish I had got a chance to see. And um, full disclosure, had the season gone one more weekend, I was tentatively planning to go to UNC Wilmington uh, to see Landon Knack pitch for East Tennessee State against, uh, against Wilmington. So I, I narrowly missed that opportunity to see him. But it, it's guys like that who kind of really fill out these senior lists. And um, there are some guys throughout who are kind of, there's a lot of familiar names here, 
but there are some guys who kind of fill out the list, especially towards the bottom with guys like Andrew Beasley at Louisiana Monroe. And he had some teammates. Louisiana Monroe had a, a good number of productive seniors. And so he, there were a couple guys I could have put for Louisiana Monroe or Christian Peters at Portland, a converted reliever who had really turned himself into a, a really good Friday guy for the pilots. So those are the kind of guys that fill in this list that I think kind of make a senior class more than what it would have looked like coming into the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think coming into the season, we were just kind of lacking the the top line prospects, which frankly we still are. Landon Knack is that, and I don't know how many other guys we have like that, that if they were only to draft five rounds, I mean, they'd probably throw in a couple other money saving guys. But like, if you, if you actually just look at the the draft rankings, which were just updated at baseballamerica.com, which now goes to 400. I'm not sure outside of the, like inside of the top 150, I think Landon Knack is in there and I'm not sure any other senior is in there. So it's just not a prospecting senior class, but that doesn't mean it's not a fun senior class or a productive senior class. And, you know, Van Bell is and Shepard or Arbach are, are very emblematic of that. And, you know, you have fun guys like Itchy Burtz. And, you know, we, we talked previously about how good Itchy is as a player, but he's also just this, like, wonderful college baseball player with this unique name and not the biggest pro prospect because he's not the biggest guy. But, you know, at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, he's this outstanding player. And within the Southland Conference, he's an outstanding player. And there, there's just a lot of that going on. And I think that maybe this allowed us to kind of celebrate them in a way that, you know, we wouldn't normally look at that kind of player this way, but uh, you know, hopefully a lot of these guys are able to come back next year and we're able to see them or, or that they get a chance to to go on and, and do whatever it is they want to do. I, you know, that is the great thing about the NCAA's ruling is that it allows them to make this choice that if they want to come back, they can, if they are ready to move on with their lives uh, whether that means pro ball or grad school or jobs, whatever it be, uh, you know, it, it's on them by and large to to make this decision. Obviously, that's not entirely true. That that some of them, you know, their universities aren't going to allow that. But for the most part, um, this is this is their choice, and and that's that's the the best part about this ruling for me. Yeah, this list will be an interesting kind of guide to once we get, you, you mentioned the draft being so shortened, and that is true. And, and this will be an interesting list um, to kind of use as, as like a little bit of a watch list for players who will not be drafted, but who might be tempted by the idea that they could head into pro baseball. Because if you're a, a fifth-year guy, like most of these guys, and let me be clear, these guys are the types of guys that all things equal, a coach would love to have back on his team. There's nobody on this list who I would assume that a coach is looking to kind of move along. Um, these are all productive guys. These are all guys that bring something to the table. In many cases, their coaches, for example, Brandon Zaragoza in this list. Oklahoma has been very open about it. Like, yeah, we want you back. Itchy Burtz is one who Scott Malone tweeted actually today after the story went up that, you know, he liked seeing Itchy Burtz in this list. And then he listed a bunch of other seniors and said, hey, bring your friends back too. So he, he's very open about wanting him and, and others back. And so these guys are guys that, that will be wanted back on campus. But that being said, you, you're right in saying they have a difficult decision to make. And there are some guys in this list that have accomplished enough in their college careers that you do wonder if they might just decide, you know what, if I can get a, an undrafted deal just because I believe in my talent and I believe as long as I get in a system, I can move. Um, I think there are guys in this list that 
that could potentially be in that group. And so this list, I think, could be a little bit of a guide to the types of players that could go down that road, perhaps more so than than others. So I would not be surprised if there are a couple guys in this list who don't hear their names called on, in the draft but don't end up coming back uh, because they're just going to go ahead. A guy like a Justin Levy, to use an example of, of, that we talked about. I mean, Justin Levy's a guy who could get squeezed because of the lack of rounds in the draft, but he's been very clear about, I want to begin my pro career. I think, I think there are guys in this list that could fall in that category as well. Yeah. And the, you know, we've seen, I'm sorry to whatever local media outlet, Justin Levy's told this to, I don't have it in front of me right now, but he said that I think it was he's on Kenosha. I think it was local in Kenosha, which is where he's from. There you go. Is that Wisconsin? Yeah. Kenoshanews.com. So he told them, that he's on track to graduate in May and, you know, having played his four years and, and, you know, being on track to get his degree, like it's just, it's kind of the right time for him to move on. Like it's unfortunate that that's how his college career is going to end, but, you know, with his degree in hand, you know, it's just kind of, kind of time. And I would imagine there are a lot of guys that, that feel similarly. Uh, And, you know, whether the, the, there's been a lot made of the fact that the max non-drafted signing bonus is $20,000. But the reality is a lot of seniors, like that's kind of what you're just going to get anyway. And whether you get that this year or next year, uh, you know, isn't going to make a whole lot of difference. So if you are graduated, I can certainly understand at that point saying, if you're giving me the opportunity to enter Pro Bowl, maybe now is the time to do it. So that that's something to to watch. And I don't know, we had fun putting this list together. Hopefully you guys have fun uh, checking it out over, over on the website. Yeah, agreed. It was uh, just quickly, it was, it was, it was more fun, which is not to say the other ones were a slog. This one was definitely more fun than the, uh, you know, ranking the performances because it was kind of nice just that the most important thing on this list was just finding like the fun players and like getting them in the 25. And then yes, like, trying to rank them within reason, but I think no one is looking at this list and, and thinking that this is supposed to be a definitive ranking of like the 25 best seniors or the 25 this or that seniors. It's just 25 good, fun seniors that we'd like to see back in college baseball. And so that, that did kind of give this a little bit of a, a fun element, whereas the, you know, with the other two, are we were ranking pitching and, and defensive performances, or I'm sorry, pitching and offensive performances. Boy, defense can rank defenses. Would be. If really. you want to, if you want to, <laughs> scour those box scores to find how many yeah. how many shortstops turn three double plays like i'm not gonna stop you yeah i'll pass on that but uh you know <laughs> ranking those pitching and offensive performances like there was like a real effort to make sure that we had the order right and stuff so that, that actually ended up being a little more traditional work this was just kind of felt like having a little bit of fun looking up some players that i that i'd like to see back in college next year absolutely and as i mentioned we are continuing these top 25 lists until we have baseball back, I believe is basically the plan with maybe a week or two off for some holidays in there. Uh, so with that in mind, we kind of need ideas. We have a working doc, but it doesn't have nearly enough to, to carry us through. So if you have ideas, things you want to see us rank 25 of, uh, you can tweet them at us. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. You can also tell Joe how he would love Stranger Things, I suppose, uh, over on the on the Twitter machine. But yeah, if you have ideas for our top 25s, let us know. We're, we're certainly open to them, and we have many weeks between now and the 2021 preseason top 25, at which point we'll probably stop this endeavor. Um, but we are, we're, we're going to fill the offseason this way. That's uh, 
something we're having having fun doing um, most weeks anyway. I do want to mention again that the Friday podcast is going to be the Manhattan game or the, the, the Manhattan upset of Nebraska in the 2006 Lincoln Regional. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell them where they can find that game if they want to watch it and, and follow along ahead of Friday's podcast? YouTube. Oh, no, you meant like more specifically. Um, <laughs> it is on YouTube. Yes. We, so if you go to baseballamerica.com and, and you can go to the college section and scroll, but basically we, we put a, a post up of uh, 10 great college baseball games you can watch on YouTube. And if, if you just do some, some Googling with those keywords plus Baseball America, you'll find it there. Um, but we, we, we put a list together of 10 great college baseball games found on YouTube. We've talked about uh, three of them already. This is the fourth from that list. And oh, by the way, we've got another list cooking right now. Um, actually, I guess to use the metaphor, it is currently in the oven, just waiting to be taken out and put into the world. Um, so it is, uh, that we'll have a second list going. And so we'll probably start to cherry pick off the other list as, as we go here, just trying to find the best games and balancing the types of guests we want to have, things like that. But, uh, so yeah, just uh, search around 10 great college baseball games you can find on YouTube at baseballamerica.com. You'll find the link in there and, um, you can watch it ahead of time. We would also welcome, uh, sending questions our way if you happen to watch it before we usually record Thursday afternoon. So if you happen to watch it ahead of time on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday morning, uh, send us any questions you have uh, just generally about the game. Once we announce a guest, we obviously can, um, you know, we, we could have more pointed questions uh, towards our guests. But if you have any just general comments or questions about the game, send them our way. We'd love to make them a part of the podcast to make that podcast segment a little more interactive but at a bare minimum you can just follow along and, and watch the game yourself and then and listen back once we post the podcast to uh to kind of relive it through the eyes of someone who competed in the game i'm very excited about this game because it has nebraska java chamberlain in it and uh i'm very much here for that i that he was he was a lot of fun at that time and so I, i'm excited to see what that looks like uh you know in a in a home regional environment yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good it's a good one. Uh, it's a good environment. You could you could tell at least early on before before it became clear to Nebraska fans what was happening here. Um, it was it was a good crowd, and that was um, you know, I think I wrote this in the post that it, you know, at, at the time it kind of felt like just a continuation of what Nebraska had been. You know, Dave Van Horn had just left a couple of years prior to go to Arkansas, and uh, you know he really had them cooking. You know, got them to Omaha in '01, and then Mike Anderson had gotten Nebraska to Omaha in '05 which was the year prior to the game uh, we're going to be watching. And so it really just felt like this was just Nebraska keeping, staying the course. Uh, in hindsight, I mean, this regional where they, they uh, you know, spoiler alert, end up getting, um, you know, end up getting eliminated, uh, it ends up kind of looking like, you know, the, the Nebraska, that, that period of Nebraska baseball history kind of coming to a close a little bit and kind of moving on. Um, and then eventually it kind of gets the torch gets picked back up by Darren Erstad and he gets them back to being postseason regulars. But this was kind of the beginning of a little bit of slide for Nebraska baseball. And so it really is kind of an interesting moment in time where you can really project this one game where they, they lose as a heavy as a heavy favorite against an underdog to kind of project what was going on, I think, more largely with Nebraska, where at least on the surface, it looked like things were really just kind of cooking along as they always were. Uh, but really, it was kind of the beginning of a, of a downturn for the program, uh, by and large. So with that uplifting thought about Nebraska sports, coincidentally, uh, it, I'm, I mean, I'm, it was, uh, 
<laughs> Go ahead. Co coincidentally, right now on ESPNU, which again is what my TV lives on during the week, is uh, is Ohio State beating Nebraska from this year in football. So great, great Nebraska content all around right here on the, the Baseball America College podcast. But I mean, I think you can, if you're a Nebraska fan, obviously this is not a, a fun memory, but it's, you know, I think it, you know, you could look at it as, you know, this was this was a period of time where they were starting to go into a period of time where things things weren't as strong, uh, but that kind of created a situation where Darren Erstad came back. And I think everyone ultimately, even though there were maybe frustrations about not going deeper in regionals in recent years, you know, I, I do think that'll be looked at as a positive time in Nebraska baseball because you had the, the hometown guy, or at least the, you know, he wasn't from Lincoln, but the, 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 the guy coming back home to where he went to college to kind of get the program going back in the right direction. And I think he undoubtedly did that. So it, it kind of led to an era, I think, of, of some good feelings for Nebraska baseball. And then, you know, to get to that point, you kind of have to go through some times where, where there was struggle. And so this, um, I, I think this game kind of ends up being, uh, kind of being a signal of, of what is to come there. So we, we will be watching that uh, ahead of the, the Friday podcast. Hopefully you guys do as well, or at least that you check back in to, uh, to that episode when we release it on Friday. And remember, you can find the Baseball America podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, that where, where, wherever you're listening to your podcast, you can probably find us. So uh, make sure you're subscribed and you will get that episode right into your phone when we post it on Friday. Until then, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Joe for joining us and for joining me rather. And I want to thank Louisville coach Dan McDonald for joining us again today. I've been Teddy Cahill. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.